Hi everybody, welcome to Husky Talk. We are your hosts, Joe Snodgrass and Brianna Lanehart. Today we, ha- we have the pleasure of interviewing two guests on our show. Please welcome to the show, Ed Stilstra and Laura Neese from Nature's Kennel in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Hi, Ed and Laura. Hello, how are you? Hello. Good, and you? Doing great. Thank you for being on our show this week. Well, thanks for having us. We're excited to talk to you about our dogs. Our first segment of the show is titled, Who Inspires You? During this segment, we would like to for you to tell us a little bit about who or what inspired you to get involved in the Iditarod. We will start with you, Ed. Boy, that's a tough question. Um, I don't think it was a person that inspired me as much as just traveling with dogs. Um, boy. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think there was an individual. I learned the hard way. I unfortunately didn't really have a mentor in the sport to follow and learn from. And so I made a lot of mistakes. And this through my career, if you want to call it that, traveling with dogs, <laughs> the Iditarod was, in a sense, the final step. All right, thank you. Now on to you, Laura. What inspired you to get involved in the Iditarod? Um, I was inspired to start running dogs and um, eventually work up to racing an Iditarod through watching the Iditarod as a nine-year-old and um, just the idea of traveling through the wilderness with a bunch of dogs um, captured interest and love and I decided that's what I wanted to do. Alright, thank you. We are going to Moving on to our Q&A segment. Laura, how did you end up at Nature's Kennel working with Ed? Um, I ended up at Nature's Kennel uh, through a series of events. Um, I grew up in Ohio and started a kennel down there. Um, In the winters, my family and I would travel up to the Upper Peninsula um, with about 12 of my dogs every year for two weeks and be able to run the dogs on snow and actually feel like a real musher for a while. And during some of those trips, I got to meet Ed, um, and see nature's kennel and just really love the whole setup and everything about it. So, um, as soon as I turned 18, I wanted to move north and it kind of just worked out for um, me to move up here and work as a tour guide for a year and that turned into me racing for nature's kennel and um, it's kind of just snowballed from there. Ed, can you tell us what it is like having Laura as a part of your team? (laughs) It is wonderful. (laughs) Laura, I could brag about Laura almost as much as I could brag about my dogs. She is the hardest working person I have ever met in my life. Um, She's honest. She's sincere. She truly loves the sport. And there's a, uh, one of the biggest advantages for us too, in our, our partnership here with the kennel is she gets along wonderfully with my kids. So it's her timing into my life worked out perfect because I was about ready to step away from the sport a little bit and be a dad. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and they're even more important to me than my dogs are. 
So Laura came into the the big picture about the right time so I could hand over the A-team, you know, our best dogs to her, and I can focus on being a dad with my kids, but still get to run dogs. I still, in a sense, I'm Laura's handler. So I'm running the B-team. If she needs help with a race or a certain project, I'll help her out. And in return, my um, the business of my wife and I, what we get as an employee 365 days a year, that's even as dedicated to the business as we are. So it's it's a win-win-win. I mean, Laura wins because she doesn't have the huge expense of starting her own kennel, yet she still gets to race a world-class dog team. Uh, we win because we get a dedicated employee and I get to be a dad, and then the dogs win because Laura's even a better caretaker and racer than I ever was. So it's, it's truly a symbiotic relationship. Laura, talk to us about how... What it is like to have Ed as your mentor? <laughs> um, Ed as a mentor is awesome. Um, our personalities are very similar, so um, our thought patterns are often very alike, so therefore it's really easy to learn from him. Um, and I respect him and everything that he's learned all his experiences so um everything that he tells me it's very easy to um follow his um his advice and take his knowledge that i know he knows what he's talking about now I'll, I'll learn from everything he says so it's it's wonderful all right thank you. what do you feel is most challenging dur- during the i did ride and why Ed, you for the most challenging part, uh, I would say, is the months before the Iditarod, because we we run a touring business, and that is um, my job year round. So I don't have per se a real job. I own a business, and that's my business. So I work every day of the year, um, always working. So going into Iditarod, when I know I should be training my dog team up. I'm still working. I'm still working with that touring business. So that is always the hardest part because I never really entered the Iditarod with the expectation of the goal of winning. I wanted to be as competitive as I could be, but still um, do my dogs right, realizing they may not have be as well-trained or well-conditioned as some of the my competitors' dog teams. So that's it's probably managing my time going into the race. And that's one of the huge advantages I have now with Laura is I can still run my business, but hopefully she can be cleared up to train her dog team to be competing, you know, with the top mushers in the sport. So, yeah, once the race starts, I was kind of viewed it as my vacation from the world in a sense. I mean, it's very challenging, uh, physically and emotionally draining. But the Iditarod, I didn't have to run my business while the race was going on. So I could just truly enjoy running dogs and experiencing being outside and, you know, the the challenge of the sport. The Iditarod is very humbling, um, as well as other dog races, too. So and it puts life in perspective. That's nice. Laura, what about you? Uh, the most challenging part of the Iditarod for me last year was in the first about 500 miles um, when the weather was about 
50 to 60 below most of the time. And um, just learning to work in that kind of cold and um, try to keep yourself warm and take care of the dogs um, to get them enough food and calories to be able to stay warm and still run in that temperature. Um, All the little challenges that come along with it being that cold was pretty, um, pretty interesting to learn and overcome that. Do you guys think you have any advantage or disadvantage of not, not living and training up in Alaska where the race is held? Oh, I don't mind answering this first. I think living outside Alaska is a tremendous advantage. One, because I mean, we, lo- we love the Midwest. We love Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio. Um, it's it just people are real. It's a happy place to be. Um, so the culture living here, I think, is just more pleasant than it is in Alaska. Uh, another advantage we have is up here in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, versus Alaska is snow. We get a lot more snow than they do. It tends not to be as cold as well, so that can be an advantage, helping keeping weight on the dogs. Uh, we have miles and miles of trails, which they have in Alaska as well. Um, we have sandy soils, which tends to be an advantage in the fall versus clay or harder soils that can freeze up sooner. And uh, I would say if there's disadvantages from living outside Alaska and trying to run distance races, it would be um, probably the networking. Up in Alaska, there may be 50 to 100 mushers that could prepare and run, to run Iditarod, where in the Midwest, there's only a few of us. You know, there's definitely less than 10 kennels that have interest and could put together a world-caliber distance dog team out of the Midwest. So that that's a big disadvantage. You know, if we have a new idea to bounce it off of a, a veteran, we need to really call Canada, somebody in Canada or somebody in Alaska. So how about you, Laura? I agree. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. When you go up to, when you go up to race in Alaska and Canada, how do you get your dogs there? Travel with a, depending on how many dogs we have, we'll um, either just drive a truck or our truck in a trailer. And the dogs ride in dog boxes on the back of the truck and or trailer. Um, So the dogs, we usually pair them up so they run two dogs in a box. And um, they, yeah, travel really well in there. They actually love their dog boxes. They get really excited to um, get in them because they know they're going going to a race and going to some new adventure there they get to see new trail and different different obstacles how long does it take it takes us we've done it in as short as three days four hours that's but that's a a group of us dedicated and disciplined to driving around the clock i like to get there as fast as possible so we can get the dogs out and running again so they're a little bit more comfortable that way um but some years it's taken us almost five days it's approximately 5,000 miles, 
from where we live to get to Anchorage, Alaska. So it's it's a good haul. Um, fortunately, too, when we travel, we take always veterans, and veterans travel a lot easier than one-year-olds do as they're learning to ride and when to go to the bathroom, when to eat and all that. Our veteran team, um, they travel better than most people. They're great, great companions to have on the 5,000-mile trip. Okay, thank you. Do you happen to have a favorite checkpoint on the Iditarod? My favorite checkpoint last year was Huslia. Uh, it's not usually a checkpoint on Iditarod, but it was last year because the race was rerouted. And um, I think that's why it was my favorite checkpoint, because there was so much excitement for the race in the village that... Um, they did rods only traveled through Huslia three times, so it's truly a very, very exciting thing for the village. And um, just it was just a really cool feeling coming coming into the village of Huslia and just being greeted by all the kids and all the um, the natives to the village, and just a lot of happiness surrounding it. And I like that. And for me, without a doubt, Koyak is my favorite checkpoint. It's on, So three reasons. It's on the coast, and Koyak is uh, sheltered from the wind for the most part. So it seems like every year I've run Iditarod, going into Koyak, I've just been blasted by the wind. But when I get into the village, there's no wind. And the wind is uh, kind of my kryptonite in a sense that it always tends to tear at me more than it should. And so getting to Koyak, you get to get out of the wind, and you know the worst of the wind for the most part is over on the Iditarod. And uh, the second reason I like Koyak so much is uh, my rookie year, I really messed up my leg earlier in the race. I'd hit a bunch of rocks uh, leaving Rhone. And when I got to Koyak, it still was bothering me. And one of the volunteers there, I woke up to her wrapping my knee and putting a compression wrap on it that made it feel a lot better and that always just brings back happy memories to think of that and uh, she ended up becoming a good friend and and just a happy person and then the the third reason is the people that are at Koyak both the people that live in Koyak and the volunteers that come in to help run the checkpoint it just I've had positive experience after positive experience with the, the people there and, and it's a beautiful, beautiful layout of the village and right on right on the ocean and just, I love the place. Thank you very much. What is it like being out on the trail all alone and away from your loved ones? Yeah, it's <laughs> you know, I was, I was going to answer wonderful but that sounds very selfish and, and rude but <laughs> Um, I do miss my kids a little bit when I go to a, you know, a dog sled race, but at the same time, I really enjoy being by myself. And in a dog race, we're not by ourselves anyway. We have our team in front of us and we're traveling with our dogs, but um, the serenity and being able to spend days without having to talk to anybody or necessarily answer a question or worry about another individual because we don't really have to worry about our dogs. They're they're so self-sustaining, and, you know, really we just have to be able to let them run, keep them safe, keep them fed, give them good bedding, 
and they take care of themselves. There's just keep them happy, and it's that easy. So when we're out on the trail, we don't have many cares. You can just truly relax and free your brain up and enjoy every sensation that's coming around you that Mother Nature's provide. Um, really the same for me. I love being alone, and so being on a race trail is really my favorite place because you can kind of just live in the moment and forget everything else and just enjoy the trail and being with the dogs and um, just seeing all the beauty that's out there that we don't get to see every day as we go through different um, sections of the trail. Laura, what is it like being involved in a race with mushers you have followed or looked up to since you were a kid? It's really cool um, to kind of just, I really had to get myself to just sit back and think about it for a little bit because I get into race mode and um, don't really pay attention to other teams or mushers around me. But it is cool to sit back and think, hey, I'm in this checkpoint with Martin Boozer and Dallas Seavey and all these other people that um, I've been following all these years. And um, it is neat just to think that, yeah, I'm finally here and doing what I've been wanting to do all these years. Okay, thank you. Ed, we see you have two kids. How are they involved at Nature's Kennel? Uh, they took they started taking on more responsibility this summer. They truly enjoy time with the pups up till the, when the pups are about three months old. They're getting a little too big for them and too rambunctious. Uh, but the, the kids help feed. They help water uh, the dogs. They help exercise the dogs. My daughter, the five-year-old, loves going on training runs with us. She absolutely loves seeing the dogs work and learning new trails. Um, my son, not so much. He's more into video games and anything electronic. Uh, but my parents weren't into mushing, so I don't necessarily expect my kids to become mushers. If they do have the desire, that's fantastic. But uh, the thing that's most satisfying to me is they have the love for the animals. Both of my kids truly, truly love dogs, and that, that makes me happy. And they, they already know how to take care of dogs better than most adults do. They've probably watched 50 puppies being born, and, um, I mean, every step of the way they've helped us care for them. So. Okay, thank you. Laura, what does your future hold for you? Will you stay at with nature's kennel or attempt to start your own kennel i don't see myself ever leaving nature's kennel um i've really kind of spoiled here because i don't have to um pay to feed my dogs um do any of that that's all um taken care of by nature's kennel and um so Starting my own kennel would just, it wouldn't make a lot of sense, really. Um, and I love it here. I love um, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I love the people. Um, yeah, I don't see myself ever leaving.
thank you. Laura, what are your three fa favorite Iditarod or Mushing theme books to read? That's a good one. Um, probably one of my, yeah, it might be my very favorite book. Is actually um, written by a Norwegian, um, Burnt Balkan, and it was written in, I think, the mid-1900s. And he wasn't, he never raced sled dogs, anything like that, but he um, was part of, um, part of an expedition to the, to Antarctica and to the South Pole. So he was around sled dogs and he wrote about that. Um, he wrote about his, he was a pilot, so he wrote a lot about that. And he just loved Antarctic and Arctic areas. So, um, that book is Come North With Me by Burnt Balkan, and, yeah, that was one of my favorites growing up, just to, um, learn about those different places and his experiences. Um, and I really liked Cold Hands, Warm Heart by Jeff King, um, probably the, the third one would be The South Pole by, um, oh, what's his name? No, the first the first guy to get to the South Pole. No. I don't know why I can't think of his name, but he was another Norwegian, and um, just that's kind of my um, the era that I like to read about the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds of that exploration era, and he um, dog, sled dogs were a huge part of that expedition in Antarctica, so I really like that. Okay, thank you. Our final segment of the show we like to call Musher Mount Rushmore. You know Mount Rushmore, right? Yes. If you were asked to replace the four presidents' faces on Mount Rushmore to faces of the Iditarod that have made a huge impact on the race, who would you include? You can pick mushers, dogs, volunteers, whatever you want. You two can work together. <laughs> That's an awesome, awesome question. Yeah, Dr. Stu Nelson would be my first choice. He's the first one that comes into my mind. Um, I don't know how many people even know about Dr. Stu, but he does the best job in the world that any human could, um, balancing the act he has to between the board of directors for Iditarod, the Alaskan culture of mushing, uh, true perfect care of dogs in a thousand mile race as well as managing a staff of veterinarians managing a budget um, and he does it without ever seemingly getting wound up um, Dr. Stu Nelson has done a lot for the Alaskan Husky in the sport of mushing and the Iditarod so he would be my first choice how about you Laura? champion 
in helping the sport of mushing outside of Alaska, the sport of distance mushing, I should say. So, uh, Doug Swingley, and of course, I mean, we got to put Joe Reddington Sr. up there. So we might have more than four faces, (laughs) but Joe Reddington Sr., there wouldn't be a race without him. So I think I'd vote Joe Reddington Sr., Dr. Stu, Susan Butcher, and Doug Swingley would probably get my four. All right, thank you. Do Would you? there be room on the mountain to add Laura Neese in a few years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have anything you would like to add to the interview? Um, I mean, I always like to thank my sponsors, Royal Keenan Pet Foods. They've been with us a number of years, and... Uh, our touring business would be what it is with or without them, but our racing team, they provide the nutrition and uh, some of the financial backing and just the knowledge to help us take care of our animals over a thousand miles. Um, I, I haven't even come close to winning I did a rod, but I truly like to believe I have some of the best looking dog teams that have ever crossed the finish line in I did a rod. And a lot of that thanks goes to Royal Canaan. And then dogwoodies.com is another sponsor. We met the owners, Louise and Greg Russell, um, when they lived in Duluth, Minnesota. And that relationship has developed way past a business partnership and also to a true friendship. So Louise and Greg have been phenomenal to work with. And they also, with their dog booties, help us take care of our dogs. And, um, And I would like to thank you, both of you and also Aaron, and uh, the Comanches there for <laughs> helping us just promote our sport and something we're very proud of, our lifestyle with our animals. And, and uh, it's something outside. It's something non-electronic. And I believe it's something very healthy, not only for the humans, but for the canines as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much for talking with us. Special thanks to Ed and Laura for being on our show this week. Credit to Hobo Jim for a theme song. Yeah, I did it on trail
Special thanks to Ed and Laura for joining us on the sh on our show this week. Credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song. Yeah, I did the right show.